song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you.
take a few pages from Josh's book this morning. If you were here last week, you'll understand, or Christ, a couple weeks ago and last week. But I want to read to you from um, Romans chapter 11 and 12, um, taking, taking Josh's cue that we need to go right before to see how these fit together because it says therefore, but I'm going to read right before so that we know what he's talking about. So this is chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've heard that a lot of times, and I'm gonna guess you probably have too, but I really think there's there's just so much to this. I, I'm gonna teach you guys a new song that I, I hope is really fitting for this next series because I really think there's a lot to be said. Again, back to Josh's illustration last week, I keep thinking of that picture of the Grand Canyon and the beauty and majesty of it, but then the, the rails and how if we don't have the right frame of mind, freedom can look really confining, but really there's so much freedom in complete like submission and surrender to God. How opposite is the kingdom of Jesus, right? Right, it's so, it's so, it's so flip-flopped of what you'd think. And so I just wanna encourage you, I know I say this all the time. Um, so maybe just do this for me and, and Clint and Chris and George, because we, we're using both of our hands for our instruments. But I think there's something about open hands that as we sing these words, you can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. Like there's something about literally the opening of our hands and our arms that really just show that posture to the Lord. And I know we're all bringing different things that maybe we're holding on to really tightly. But my prayer is that as we sing this song, as you learn it, that we can really follow that, that heart of surrender to say, Lord, I trust you with every part of my world, even those parts hidden deep in that I wanna hang on to. There is so much freedom in complete surrender. Here's how it goes. You can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on. This heart that is
Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know, the weaknesses of each of us, let us wait. You mighty to save through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I've just been sitting here in the second row, just blown away over, by, over and over already this morning by the way that God weaves things together. Like when we talk about being like infilled with the Holy Spirit, that's the same Holy Spirit that lives in each of us. And that is what pulls us to unity. I had no idea what Amy was going to say. I had no idea what passage she was going to read. And I certainly did not have that same prayer book. But I'm just sitting here like grinning because our kids today are talking about Jesus being led into the wilderness and his temptations. And last week, um, I was asking a few of them. I was like, okay, our, our series for this month, our theme, like a theme is sports, but our series is called Challenge Accepted. And like, what, what does that bring to mind? What, are, what do you think are some challenges that you may choose to accept in your life? And they start to talk about things in school, learning how to read, learning how to play certain sports, learning instruments, all of those kind of normal developmental things that sometimes it's just, it's hard, it's something new. And then I said, okay, okay, those are, those are all great things, but let's also bring this around to like, why do you think we'd spend a whole month in kids' church talking about stuff that's challenging and somebody's hand went up and it's like they were almost not sure if they should say this is this okay they're like well following Jesus is challenging and I was like yeah it for sure is why why is that challenging well it's hard to be nice to people when they're not nice to you it's hard to be unselfish it's hard to put other people people first. It's hard to treat other people the way that we like to be treated. It's hard sometimes to keep up with all of these things that come from this decision to follow Jesus, to do it his way. And so I was like, let's unpack that more. Like, why is that so hard? Because we're not about being good people. That's not, that's not the goal at all. The goal is this transformation that that is just what comes out because of our decision, because of our accepting this challenge that it comes out of us that these things are happening. And they're like, well, why is that hard? Well, because there's this constant temptation, this voice that just whispers in our ears. It's the same voice that Eve heard in the garden, this idea that God is holding out on us, that doing things his way keep us from joy and happiness. Just like Josh talking last week about those barriers. Like there's this thing that says that we know best. If we do it our way, we get ahead faster. And that somehow that God is trying to hold back good things from us. And so that temptation is to do it my way. Do the, take the shortcut. Do the thing that puts me above everybody else and make sure that I'm good and doesn't really care about the people around me. If you've ever been to a sports game, 
I don't know, sports match, any, any of the names that we use for, for sports. <laughs> this is my limitation here. There are some really important people out there on the field, right? You've got these players, they're matching, wearing the matching jerseys, they're running all the plays, they've got all the plans. But there are some other people usually out there on the field with them wearing a different sort of uniform where they're like, we're not on that team or the other team. They're like your officials, your referees. And they're the ones that are out there and they are watching. They are right in the action. They don't really care about the lone guy off in the corner. Like he's not going to be getting in trouble. They are right there wherever the ball is watching, almost anticipating those moments when a player commits a foul or an illegal maneuver or something where they might not even have intended it. It's just that that's what happened, but that letting that play out could alter the outcome of the game, could give someone an unfair advantage. So they're watching and they're identifying, okay, well, right here at the line of scrimmage, it's really easy for me to see that there could be a false start or these things. And they're watching for them. And you know, they're just sitting there and they're ready. And as soon as they see it, Everybody knows. It's like everybody stops, the play stops, you hear the whistle, and everybody knows something has happened. And then all eyes are on the referee, and they're fidgeting with their microphone, and they're trying to tell us exactly what they saw. But what they do, I mean, they see it, they react, they call it for what it is, and then they redirect the play, and it moves on. And we can get into whether they called it right or wrong or whatever, but ultimately their goal is to be watching, calling it right away, stopping the play and redirecting it. And when Jesus was led out into the wilderness for um, that time of temptation and fasting and just 40 straight days of spending time with God, the devil saw some, some moments of weakness. Sometimes that, hey, if, if there's ever a time to tempt someone, wouldn't you think it's after they haven't eaten for 40 days? If there's ever a time when you're like this, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do this, this is, it's gonna be now. And the devil offers him things like, power, just regular food. He asks him or gives him this opportunity to test God and make God prove that he really is who he says he is. And after every one of those temptations, it's almost like when I read through it, I can imagine Jesus saying, whoa, hang on. That's not true. That's a false version of the truth or that's a misapplied verse from the scriptures or misinterpretation of God's heart. And he immediately comes back with actual truth. So every time the devil sets him up for failure, Jesus comes back with, no, no, you've misunderstood that. I am not, I'm not going to fall for that. My way is submitted to my father. But the thing is, he would only have had those scriptures and those things to fight back with because the pattern of his life was spending time with God. He didn't just pull those scriptures out of nowhere right there in that moment. He had spent his life, like most Jewish boys, studying, learning, memorizing. All of this time that sets him up to recognize a lie from the truth. He can hear it, he can see it, and he can call it out. And so I've just been thinking, what if we were better referees in our own life? What if we were better at identifying those times when we are most likely to be tempted to do it our way? Now, temptations are going to look different for other people. There are certain things that maybe I'm just not going to be tempted to do, but you would be. 
So that's where I'm like, we kind of have to be our own, our own referees here. We have to be grounded in the truth and, and following God's call in our lives. But what if we were quicker to say, you know what? Last time I let myself get in this situation, it didn't, it didn't go well. So this time, I see that situation. I see that play on the field. And I'm not, not falling for it. I'm not going there this time. I'm going to redirect. I'm going to regroup. We're going to start over and we're going to redo the play. Because following Jesus is challenging. This month with our kids, and our kids get it from the time they're little. We're not shying away from the idea that it's hard. It costs us everything. But it also, we gain everything. Doesn't that just not make any sense? The call to Christianity, the call to following Jesus is this act of denying ourselves, picking up our cross, doing the things we don't want to do sometimes. Because we trust God and trust that he sees things differently than we ever could. So this month, our kids were getting a little sassy. We'll talk about things and we'll be like, well, yeah, that's challenging. But we also are ready to stand defiantly and we can put our hands on our hips and we can say, challenge accepted. Like, I recognize that challenge. I see it. And I'm choosing that anyway. So if you're feeling a little sassy this week, you see the situation and you're like, hmm, challenge accepted. All right, guys, I'm going to invite Pastor Paul to come up and speak. Thank you, Pastor Mara. I don't know if I ever feel sassy. Um, <laughs> maybe at some point. And, I, and I, that is a challenging um, to me. Uh, and Joel, I see you back there. It's challenging to see referees in the position of Jesus Christ when you have sons playing basketball, right? And give me an amen there, but I will from now on look in a different way. Uh, it, it is interesting how we've um, went through these series and we've, we've diverted from doing the same series that the kids or the teens are doing, and yet they're still just lockstep together. And I, I think that's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I think it's also the cohesiveness of God's command to us that, you know, it's not willy-nilly, it's not here and there, but, but God's command is consistent whether you're uh, in preschool or whether you're near the end of life, that, that God's call to his people doesn't vary. He calls us to life. He calls us to listen to him. He calls us to obedience. And, and, and that goes from the youngest to the oldest among us. And so as we've walked through um, what Josh talked about last week and Mara's talked about this week, it's very close to what we're going to be talking about in this series. Uh, my, my grandma Moore, she had 10 kids and uh, and uh, they, um, they lived in Connersville, and at, after um, near the end of her life, or the end of um, her husband's life, they built this huge house uh, downtown Connersville. That was a really big house, nice house at the time, uh, but it was in the 30s. Anybody ever live in a house built in the 30s? You know, you, they're a little bit different in the way the electrical systems work in those houses. In her house, in that house, uh, she had on 4th Street, she had fuses. Not a circuit breaker, she had fuses, those little glass things that you, you screw in when a fuse is broke, when, when, when a circuit's broke. And, and so I can remember at, at her house, now of course in those days there was a lot less electrical that you plugged in and there were not quite as many circuits as we probably have in our homes. And, and so you'd hear a pop and you'd smell a little bit of electricity or a little bit of smoke or something. And, and then you'd have to go downstairs and into her basement. And I use that phrase basement very loosely because it was a dirt floor. Uh, the, the ceiling was probably six feet. And you'd have to get one of those glass fuses 
and screw them in. Neil, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Anybody ever seen those before? Or is this all foreign to you? And that was a fuse. And, and those fuses served a significant purpose. Of course, now it's, it's nicer in most homes now. Now they have circuit breakers. And, and, and so you just go down and you, you flip the switch when it breaks. Now I believe when those circuits break, you're supposed to replace those circuit breakers. How many in this room do not replace those circuit breakers? I, we won't raise your hand. But you flip a switch. And, and they even have what they call ground circuits. Uh, ground fuses that, that basically it's on the outlet and I don't know if these are ground fuses or not. This, this Christmas I was putting up Christmas lights and I had a, an exposed wire on one of the, one of the uh, cords I was putting up and, and I touched that exposed wire and, and, and God sent a jolt of the Holy Spirit through me <laughs> and it blew the circuit. And so I had to search and find where that silly little button was, and I'm glad I did because it was hooked to the, ref the freezer out in my garage. And so that's, that's, you have ground fuses that will do that. And, and these are good things. They serve a purpose. And a fuse breaker or a circuit breaker keeps you from overloading a circuit. And it prevents you from having fires in your house. That's good, right? It's a good thing. God builds into our lives circuit breakers or fuses. And these things help us, they don't hinder us. God's will, if we heed God's will, will keep us from burning down our house, burning down our lives. So an easy example, Sabbath. Sabbath is a, a, a command of God. And this ideal of resting is not because God does not care for us and not because God wants just to add additional restrictions to our life. But this ideal of Sabbath and resting builds into our life space for relationship with God and relationship with others. And so very clearly that this isn't just restriction for the sake of restriction. This is a fuse breaker in our life so that we can enjoy relationship with God and relationship with others. And really, all of God's commands are not intended to restrict life, but bring life. Much like the, the, the barrier that, that Josh showed, much like the referees, they are here to bring life, not to restrict life. Now, in the life of Israel, God built festivals and seasons. This is a big part of the law, this ideal of you know, Passover and the, the festival of booths and, and all these different things, these seasons that they would go through. And these were seasons and they were space and they were time where they could reflect, they could stop, they could reflect on their relationship with God and with others. And so they were fuse breakers in the routine. Uh, the routine could build up, and, and God intentionally placed space in those routines so that people could look at their life, look at their relationships in a more intensive, intentional way. You know, we need to intentionally build space for a reflection of relationship. It will not just happen. I, I know in my life, I, I can get so busy doing 
that relationships can suffer. And so I need to be intentional in building space in my life to reflect on my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my church, my relationship with my neighbor. I need to intentionally build space in my life that allows that to happen. Now, you, know, you understand, I, I believe that we, real, we have a real enemy of our soul, right? We, we believe in that still. We, we believe in, in, in the devil, and we believe in temptation, and we believe that we are tempted, and one of the ways we are tempted is we are tempted to become so busy and overwhelmed that we don't have space for a reflection of life or relationship. Socrates, and, and I don't believe Socrates was Christian, right? But he said, that was a kind of a joke. You didn't have to laugh, but you, this is kind of, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I believe that applies to the Christian life. The Christian life that is never examined, when we never stop and reflect on where we are spiritually, where we are relationally, I believe our life suffers. And so seasons and festivals are spaces. Sunday morning gatherings is a space where we're meant to stop and reflect. It's intentional. That the seasons and the festivals of Israel continued in the early church. Now, they began to get some different names. Um, Passover was more intentionally focused on Easter. Uh, Pentecost, they, they celebrated Pentecost, but Pentecost became less focused on the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and more focused on the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Christmas became a, a time when the church stopped and focused on relationship. It was intentional. Lectionaries were developed where there was this regular reading of the word, common prayers. We do common prayers here. These common prayers were created. And, 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 and sure, the Bible doesn't say you have to have common prayer, but it was an intentional act of the church to say we need to stop and we need to reflect. These rituals and these seasons are meant to intentionally move us from the clutter of life into a space where fuller relationship with God and others is possible. And so we are in one of those seasons. We are in Lent. And Lent's not something you find in your belly button, okay, right? I almost said pocket, but belly button sounded funnier to me. Lent is this 40-day period before Easter. Uh, it, it represents, Mara, you mentioned Jesus going in the wilderness. It's that 40-day period Jesus was in the wilderness, that, that significant number. 40 days, it started on Ash Wednesday. Wednesday, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. That's, we've had Ash Wednesday services in the past, but we didn't do it this year. Hopefully next year we'll be back to our, more of our normal routine. And so it's this 40-day period of reflection and fasting before Easter. Now this period of Lent is deeply set within the life of the church. It was recognized in 325 in the Council of Nicaea, but its roots go much deeper than that. This ideal of stopping and fasting. Some people give up meals. Some people may give up meat. Maybe pop or sweets or TV, or Facebook. There's all sorts of things that people will fast during this period of Lent. But Lent 
is not simply about making ourselves uncomfortable by being hungry or giving something up. That, that's not the purpose. The, the ideal is that, okay, I'm going to go through 40 days of being uncomfortable. Lent is an invitation. In this season, God is inviting his church to let go of lesser things so that you can grab hold of better things. You know, we love our food. If you love food, say amen. There's a story in the Bible, and, and Jesus, it's in John chapter 4, and, and it's the woman at the well, and, and Jesus is sitting at the well, and, and the disciples go into town to try to find something to eat. You know, they're, they're like us. You know, they're looking for a Wendy's or a McDonald's or something, a drive through and, and Jesus is sitting there, and this, he encounters this woman. And uh, it's one of the most dynamic conversations you'll find in the Scripture is Jesus just opens up to this Samaritan woman and, and invites her to relationship with him, basically. And the disciples come back, and, and, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they're thinking, well, maybe you got something to eat, maybe somebody else brought him something. They're all consumed with their food, right? Because you know, we love our food, and they're consumed with food. As a matter of fact, I've said food enough that probably most of you are thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner, right? They're consumed with it. That's all they can think about. And Jesus says, my food is to do what God wants. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, yeah, food's fine. But food compared to the will of God is a lesser thing. That God is calling me to something more. And when he calls us to something more, he'll take care of those lesser things. But when we fast and we give up these things, we're saying, I'm going to let go of lesser things because, God, I'm consumed with the greater things. Season of lit. What can you let go of that will allow you to experience more fully your relationship with God and others. I mean, th this is an invitation to, to say, okay, I am going to purposefully let go of this with the hope that I will be able to grab hold more fully of my relationship with God and with others. So, so we're in the Lit series, and and. We're going to be using as our guide the Lord's Prayer. Anybody ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, okay, three of you. Of course, it's found in Matthew chapter 6. I believe it's also found in Luke. But let's read this together. Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to read verses 9 through 15, or actually 9 through 13. We're going to read the last two part verses of this. Read this with me. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's just beautiful hearing you read that with me. You know, this simple little prayer that Jesus gives his disciples. Okay, can I make a suggestion over the next few weeks? Can you say this prayer often? Other than just in here when, when, when we're having Sunday morning, what if every morning 
for the next, until Easter, what if every morning before your feet hit the floor, what if you prayed this simple prayer? What if you took it a step further? There's a concept known as the daily office, and it's not something that typically I've heard much in my evangelical circles, this idea of the daily office, but the daily office is this daily time of stopping and praying and reading scripture. I've practiced this at times in my life. It's, it's, it's an it's a awesome little practice. And, and, and so what if you said, okay, I'm going to have three daily offices, morning, noon, and night. You can do more if you wanted. But what if three times a day you were to stop and say, I'm going to take a breath, and I'm going to say and listen to you, God, as I say this simple prayer. What if every time you experience stress, anybody ever experience stress? What if every time you experience stress through the day, you just took a step back and, and said this simple prayer? What if every time you had conflict with someone, you said this simple prayer? Now, don't say this prayer at them. You know, you're in the conflict. Our Father who art in heaven... Don't use it as a weapon. But what if you stopped in the midst of conflict, in the midst of stress, in the midst of life seeming to go on a right-hand turn and said this simple prayer? You know, there's something that weird that will happen to me, and, and, and I think I'm pretty common in this, that, that I'll be going along and all of a sudden I'll be in a cruddy mood. Anybody ever been like that? That just all of a sudden, your, your mood just like, Bleh. I know nobody ever does that. But you're just in a stinky mood. And, 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 and I'll stop and I'll say, why am I such in a, why, why is my mood so stinky? And so then I'll begin to trace back where it started. And usually it'll be some really stupid little thing that has sent me, and, and I'm still thinking about that stupid little thing. What if when we find ourselves in their stinky little moods, what if we were to trace back to where it began and replace the thought process that began that path and said this simple prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, some translations don't include that. I don't believe it's in the NIV, and I think there's some others that have taken that because it's not in the earliest transcripts. But most likely, and I don't want to blow your mind here, but most likely, Jesus didn't include this. But what happened was that the early church took this saying, and this was their response to the prayer of Jesus. <laughs> And so what we're seeing in this passage is we're seeing the prayer of Jesus and the early church responding to the prayer of Jesus. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's power in that. In other words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the church responds. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So in our stress, in our conflict, in our difficulty, we acknowledge that it's all about God's kingdom. It's all about God's power. It's all about God's glory. A fuse breaker in the midst of a sometimes chaotic life. See, Lent and the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to something more, something better. It's an invitation to let go of the things that may not be bad things, but they may consume us and grab hold of better things. Money's not a bad thing. Amen? Who likes to have money when you need to go to a restaurant, right? You don't like washing dishes. But there's better things. And God's inviting us to let go of those lesser things and grab hold of better things. See, see Lent's not simply about self-denial. It's about letting go to hold on to something better. It's a fuse breaker to prevent an overloaded life. It's an invitation to self-realization and to fuller relationships. In a lot of ways, it's better together, point two. And our passage invites us to something similar. The Lord's Prayer, in its whole, is an invitation to relationship, trust, and direction. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to break it down word by word and phrase by phrase and do it in that way. Instead, we're going to do it kind of as an overview. And I hope that you'll focus on it not just here, but at home in the routine of your life. I hope this, this prayer will begin to just fill your, your life. And so as we look at the overview, it won't be word for word. It won't be, okay, this word means this, but... Just as you look at this prayer as a whole, for instance, next week we're going to talk about letting go of complexity and seizing simplicity. <laughs> the, the truth is, in most of our lives, we don't need more complex. We need more simplicity. So what needs to be unplugged in my life? What needs to be unplugged in your life? Well, some of the most important decisions I've ever made are related to things that I've eliminated. You understand that? That, that? that sometimes it's not what I add to my life that adds value. It's what I remove from my life that's added value. So these Lenten practices of fasting are not intended to make life more complicated, but they're intended to create space for a deeper relationship with God and others. Can we throw up the image? Is it up there? Yeah. Once you look at that image, is that how any plugs in your home look right now? Please change it if it does. But as you look at that image, let me ask you, what areas of your life have too many plugs in the outlet? What areas are there just too many plugs and you really need to remove some of the obligations? What, what, are, what are the overload potentials in your life? You know, what's the Spirit speaking to you? What can be unplugged? What, what in your life can you say, okay, 
This is not where I want to go. And, and I'm simply, I'm going to unplug this. Are there obligations, desires, habits, relationships, activities that are preventing you from experiencing God? Are there obligations, desires, habits, relationships, activities that are preventing you from experiencing your family, your friends, your church? Are there obligations, desires, and habits, relationships, and activities that are preventing you from loving your neighbor? If we're too busy to love our neighbor as ourself, we're too busy. Can I get one amen for that? I mean, if we're too busy to fulfill the command of Jesus in our life and love our physical neighbor to the extent that we can, we are too busy. Can I raise my hand and acknowledge there's been times in my life where I'm so busy doing ministry that I don't love my neighbor? If we're too busy with our obligations to seek justice, to show mercy... If we can't listen, if we can't stop, if our, if our schedule is so busy that when we encounter people, we can't take the time to listen, there's obligations that need to be unplugged from your life. There's another invitation of Jesus. It's in Matthew 11, 28, 30. It's, I love it because in this passage, I can just see busy, obligated people. And you realize that the life that Jesus lived in is drastically different than the life that we live in. (laughs) The obligations, uh, the technology that is meant to make life simpler doesn't always do that, right? You know, Facebook's a great thing unless you're on Facebook 18 hours a day, then it's a bad thing. You know, your iPhone will give you that very, that, that challenging You've been on your iPhone how many hours a day, right? It makes you feel guilty. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable, (laughs) And my burden is light. You know, there's an ancient legend of Jesus. And I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's, it's, it's kind of a cool legend that one of the things that Jesus made as a carpenter was yokes. And that when Jesus is using this phrase, he's using his business phrase, that when he made a yoke, it fit right. So Jesus is saying, come to me. I know how to make a yoke for you that will fit right. The problem is, in our world, there's all sorts of people that are telling us the things we need to do. Amen? I know God's will for your life. Let me tell you what it is, right? Jesus is inviting us just to rest in him. See, the Lord's Prayer is not ultimately an invitation to pray a certain way, that the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to live a certain way. 
Prayer is less about the words I say and more about the life I live. So I'm going to invite us to say this one more time together. I'm going to ask the Spirit to help us to hear and respond to this invitation. Can you read this one more time with me? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, help us to live those words, not just say those words. Help this prayer to come to our thoughts many times this week. But may we take the time, Lord, to let go of things that are keeping us from grabbing hold of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. You are dismissed. Thank you.